Let's learn from God's Word in week three of God's Favorite House. Well, again, I want to say a great big welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I want to say welcome to everybody that's joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us and, and uh, we're excited about uh, having you be a part of our worship, even though you can't be in the room with us. And uh, Capital City Church, can we just give them a great big welcome and let them know? Come on. Come on. Let them know. We love you guys. Amen. That's awesome. We're so glad to be in the house of the Lord today. And that goes right with our, our message series title, God's Favorite House. We've been learning that God has a favorite house, and that favorite house is actually you. Come on, tell the person beside you, you're God's favorite house. Would you do that? Did you know that God can have more than one favorite uh, you know, we all, all of us parents, we understand that if you have more than one child, now Crystal was an only child, so she had to be the favorite, amen? Uh, but there was four of us, so we had to fight to be the favorite, and I was the third one. They call me the invisible one. I don't think anybody knew I existed, so uh, I wasn't sure if anybody even knew I was around, but I do know that God knows we're around. God knows right where we are. He knows you're here in this room right now. He knows that you're watching online, wherever it might be, in your living room or in your kitchen or whatever it might be. He knows right where you are, and he wants to dwell within you. Well, I want to give the, the theme verse for this uh, series, and it's right there in your notes. If you open up your program, you'll see some notes there you can fill in. I put some scriptures in there for you. And I want to read the verse that we've been reading every week during this series. It comes out of Acts chapter 15, verse 16. And, and uh, we read that God says, After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. He says, I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Underline those two words, the rest. Circle those two words, the rest. Now everybody say it with me, ready? One, two, three, the rest. You are the rest. Everyone is the rest. That means that whosoever comes, whosoever believes in his name shall be saved. You are the rest. God says, I am rebuilding the temple within my people, even all the Gentiles, that's all of us, all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Just bow your heads for a moment. And let's ask God's blessing upon the word. Lord, we just pray today that your words would be spoken. I'm praying, God, that uh, you would come and, and anoint this message, Lord, that I would not be noticed, but that you would be heard. That's truly my prayer today. I pray, God, that you would speak into our hearts from your living, breathing word that you gave to us thousands of years ago. And I pray, Lord, that you would seal it in our hearts, Lord, and help us to know that you love us, that you want to live in us, Lord, that you want to live with us, that you want to give us strength and help and hope for every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our text today to begin with. Uh, out of the book of Acts, actually, but we're going to jump a couple chapters to chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles up to uh, Acts chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 44 through 50. But before I do, I want to give you a little background on this text. This text is actually Stephen's last message before uh, the, church, uh, the, the church leaders stoned him to death. So you have to understand that when he was preaching this, he knew it was something that 
that was going to continue to upset them and make them mad, and he knew it may mean his life, and it actually did. So he had been, uh, has been arrested, and he's been charged with desecrating the temple, but he's not stopping his preaching. And uh, this infuriated the religious leaders of that time, the religious establishment. And you have to understand that Capital City Church, we don't believe in religion. We believe in a relationship. Amen? Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we believe that we can have a personal relationship with him. And that's what Stephen was trying to tell the leaders of the church. And they were just angry about it. They didn't want to hear about it. They were infuriated. And so he uses this occasion to go ahead and cower in the corner and beg them not to kill him, right? No, no. He uses this occasion to preach right back at them and tell them the truth about God. And in his sermon, he recounts the history of Israel culminating with the building of three houses. And these three houses are the three houses that we've been talking about during this series. The house that Moses built, the house that David built, and the house that Solomon built. And each house is significant in in, in Israel's history, and in that time, they were, they were using the temple that Solomon built for their worship, and they had begun to worship the temple instead of the one who the temple was built for. In other words, they were worshiping the building, not the builder. Amen? And so Stephen was trying to point this out to them. You have to understand that each house stands as a symbol of a different stage of the church, and Stephen was trying to point this out. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 44, we pick up in Stephen's sermon, and he says, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. You'll notice behind me a large piece of furniture. This isn't here all of the time. It's only here during this series, and this is a replica of the description the Bible gives us for the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, this replica kind of shows what was in the Holy of Holies, and the reason we have it here is because the bottom part uh, contained uh, three things. It contained the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, which reminded them that they needed to follow God and follow His law. It, It contained a bowl of manna, which reminded them that, uh, that God fed them in the wilderness and he is the God of miracles and the God will provide in the budding rod of Aaron, which means that he has promised for them and he is their protector and helper. And in that ark were those three things of reminders. But on the top, if you see the cherubim with the wings, this was what we called the mercy seat. And that is where we would meet God in the Holy of Holies. And in these three tabernacles, in these three tabernacles, all three of them, the ark of the covenant dwelt. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But he continues to say years later in verse 45, when Joshua led the ancestors into battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory. And it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor in God with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Let me read that again. The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Stop there for just a moment. You have to understand that I'm very thankful for this building. I I, I praise God all the time. Every day I'm thankful that God has given us this place to worship. But you have to understand that without the people in here, without you here, it's just a building. Because when we leave, we take the temple with us. Understand that? And so here's Stephen, he's starting to kind of 
turn the tide a little bit and help them see that their worship was more about the building than it was the one who the building was for. Now listen to what he says. He continues. He says, as the prophet says, and he's quoting Isaiah 66 here, heaven is, not my, heaven is my throne and the earth, this is the Lord speaking, the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? In other words, Stephen was saying, listen, you've got to understand that you've got it all backwards. You're worshiping the building. You're worshiping the religion. You're worshiping the, the ritual. And you have forgotten that Jesus Christ has come. He's died and rose again. And he is our savior. He has come. We now worship God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me just give you some review in case this is your first time with us uh, during this series. There were three tabernacles, and Stephen was talked about that in his message. The first one was Moses' tabernacle, which was a house of promise and presence. Write that down. Moses' tabernacle was a house of promise and presence. This was the beginning of Israel's journey with God into the land of promise. You remember the story, if you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, or you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments uh, with Charlton Heston, uh, where he comes as Moses and he delivers the children out of Egypt and the children of Israel out of Egypt, and uh, they split the Red Sea and they go across on dry land, and after that, God begins to tell them what, how to build a temple and how to build a tabernacle, and during this time, they learned what it meant to have faith. They learned what it meant to, to follow God. There was a, a pillar of fire in the sky at night and a cloud in the, in the sky during the day that God would use to lead them through the wilderness. And the tabernacle that Moses built, as we've talked about in this series, it was so beautiful. It, even though it was basically a tent, it was more than that. It was, it was gold and, and, and bronze and silver and, and, and beautiful expensive cloth of, with expensive dye and all of that. But in these times, they were learning the keys to warfare. They experienced God's miraculous provision of manna and water. But that was just the beginning. Because as we continue to read God's word, as Stephen said, David also built a tabernacle. Now there were some things that happened between Moses' tabernacle and David's tabernacle. Unfortunately, if you've read the Bible, did you know the Bible is a really interesting book? Did you know that if you read the Bible, you're going to read something, you're going to go, wow, I never even knew that was in there. I just read in my personal devotions this morning. I read uh, some stuff. I go, wow, I don't think I've read that before. It, it, it's, sometimes it's shocking what you read in the Bible. You should read it sometimes. Come on, tell the person beside you. You should try reading the Bible. It's really cool. And so the story, you know, here's the life lesson. God had delivered them out of bondage. You remember the 10 plagues? You remember the, the splitting of the Red Sea and, and all of those things and, and God feeding them by manna? And after all of that, and Joshua took them into the promised land, all of that, they begin to forget about their provider. In fact, during that time, and, and uh, Pastor David was talking about this Wednesday night, all they did was complain. All they did is look back. Let's go back to Egypt. At least then we could eat. You know, at least then we had a, we had a, a roof over our head. Head. 
And so because of this, they let the ark become almost like a magic wand. And, and they would begin to take the ark out of the tabernacle and take it with them into battle and try to use it to, to win wars and kind of use it as a, as a, uh, as a, as a tool of God. And, and uh, because of that, the ark was actually captured and, and uh, it was taken uh, by the enemy. And now we're in a whole mess because we've got a tabernacle but no ark of the covenant. And the ark of the covenant was where God dwelt. Well, last week we talked about how David decided, you know, it's time to bring the ark to Jerusalem and how he did it wrong the first time and right the second time. And when he did it, basically he brought uh, 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 the ark into a place where he just built a tent. And so if you're taking notes, the temple uh, of David or the tabernacle of David represented a house of praise because after he built that tent, he put the ark inside of the tent. Are you with me? And he, he appointed 24-7 praise and worship time. 24-7. He took 36 years to show us as a church what it should look like when we praise and worship. Amen? He said, God said, it's so important. We're just going to camp out right here in this tent. And it was a period of revival and renewal. And this is the one that God said, I'm going to rebuild. He said, I'm going to rebuild this one. It amounted to little more than a tarp stretched over some tent poles to shield the ark from the burning sun. But God said, when I rebuild my house, it's going to be that one. You know why I believe he said that? I believe it's because he knew that we were going to be in a time when coronavirus was going to come. And there was going to be rioting in the streets and there was going to be unrest around the world. And there was going to be wildfires in California and hurricanes in South Florida. And there was going to be all these things going on. And he knew that we were going to be a mess and we were going to need something bigger and greater than ourselves. And how many of you know that something or that someone is God Almighty? Come on. How many of you know that? And I believe that we are in those days where God is calling us back to a time of revival, calling us back to a time of renewal, calling us back to a time of worship, calling us back to a time of praise. No longer is he satisfied with us sitting back and saying, well, I just hope this is over soon so I can go home. No, no. God is saying, I want to be a place where you dwell, whether you're in the church building on Sunday morning or whether you're at work on Monday morning, it doesn't matter. I want to be a house. I want you to be my house of praise. Are you with me? And so this tabernacle represented a period of renewal in the life of the believer. God said, I will raise up that which has fallen. I will rebuild the ruins of life. Then came the temple of Solomon. The temple of Solomon, if you're taking notes, write this down, was a house of prosperity and prominence. In fact, David wanted to build this temple, but God said, no, no, you're not the right person to do that, but your descendant will do it. And Solomon, his son, ended up building this beautiful temple. And this was a period of stability and growth and prominence. And there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful temple. There's nothing, there's, you know, God can show up anywhere. I'm a church planter, and I can tell you, God can show up in a gym, and he can show up in a community center, and he can show up, he can even show up in church on a Thursday night and on a Saturday night when somebody's already there on Sunday morning, amen? It doesn't matter, it, I, but th there's nothing wrong with beauting a beautiful edifice, say that 15 times, edifice, <laughs> but building a beautiful edifice is not going to guarantee the glory of God. We are the house of God, and we have to bring his glory with us. 
So this was a glorious edifice. It was inlaid with ivory and covered with gold on the outside. And, and, and kings from all over the world would come to wonder at this great building and, that, that Solomon had erected. And, and the temple represented God's presence with his people and stability and power of God. And so no wonder the religious leaders had gotten excited and, and fallen in love with this place of worship. But what I have found many times is the church gets their eye off the ball when things start to get good. I found that when things are rough, we seek God and we pray to God and we praise God. But when it gets a little bit easier and things start getting a little bit better, we begin to think, oh, look what we did. Look, what we're, look where we are. Look how special we are. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm nobody special. You're nobody special. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen. But these, these religious leaders had gotten to a place like, you know, this is pretty comfortable. This is pretty good. And Stephen said, no, no, you have totally missed the point. In fact, this temple is going to disappear. And you better know why you exist. You better know the true reason that we worship. And it is not this beautiful temple. See, the reason that the religious leaders were so angry over the claim that the temple would be replaced and not needed was because all they knew about God was that temple. All they knew about God was going through the, the, the rituals of religion. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of rituals. I, I love the, the rituals that we hold dear, like communion, and we do that uh, every so often, and, and baptism. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a run of 16 baptisms over about four weeks, so I love those things. Those things we need to do, and we need to continue to do them, but those are not the things that save us. What save us is creating a place where God can dwell by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting him into our life as our personal Savior, asking him to forgive us of our sins, and make us a new creature, accepting him as the free gift that God gave to us. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then every one of you become the temple of God. Amen. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the best looking temple in the world, but I want to tell you what, I praise God that I get to be one. Amen. Tell the person beside you, you are good looking though. You are, you are. This is it. In short, their faith, listen to this, their faith did not go beyond the confines of the temple courts. In their minds, they were saying, this is it for me. I don't need anything else. So the religious leaders had lost focus on why the temple was built in the first place. And they had allowed their history and, and the traditions to get in the way of the purpose of God's house. And the purpose of God's house is that we might worship God, that we might praise God, that we might pray to God. You remember last week we talked about the story of Jesus coming in and tearing up the temple and saying, this needs to be a house of prayer. This needs to be a house of praise. And if it's not, there's no point in being here. Amen? As a result, they possessed power over people, but they did not exercise influence. So I ask you, do you think this can happen today? Do you think in today's time that the church can get their eye off the ball and start to think that worship is about something that it's not? Start to think that church is about something that it's not? Start to think that religion is something that it's not? Some of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon, very, very famous preacher from the past. He was in London and went to Park Street Church there. 
And he was there when he was 19 years old. When he got there, he found a church with a seating capacity of 1,500, but the attendance was only 200. Listen to this. Nine years later, the Metropolitan Tabernacle was built to accommodate the crowds which came to hear him preach. His sermons were published in newspapers around the world. A school had been established to train pastors. A a coal portage business was started to print evangelistic booklets. It was said that over 23,000 people had heard him preach during these years. Think about that for a moment. During Spurgeon's 38 years as a pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, his congregation included 6,000 worshipers and added 14,000 members. Clearly, the Metropolitan Tabernacle was one of the most influential churches in the 19th century. In 1972, however, 75 years after Spurgeon retired, some pastors visited his church and counted, listen to this, 87 worshipers in the morning service. So what had happened? How can that happen? How can it just take a nosedive like that? How do they lose their influence? Well, many explanations could be given. London had changed. People had changed. The church perhaps had not kept up with the times. But in simple terms, the church had somewhere along the way lost its focus. You know, we're always one generation away from irrelevancy and extinction. So what that says to me, it's our job to keep the church alive. No longer do we look around and say, you know, that's somebody else's job. It's our job. It's interesting. Stephen closed his sermon by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? Of course, we know it's impossible to build a building that will contain God. But it declares to us, this is not all that there is. So what kind of house does God want to build? What kind of house does God want to build? I've entitled my sermon this morning, If we build it, he will come. The first fill-in, if you're taking notes, I believe he wants us to build, and he wants to build in us, a house where power is preeminent. Acts 7.49, he said, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. The house that God wants to build is one that cannot be measured by size. It cannot be measured by wealth. It cannot be measured by numbers. It cannot be measured by programs or how many ministries we have. It can only be measured by the power of God. I want you to know something. As the pastor of Capital City Church, my number one priority is to pursue the power of God. Because in my own power, it is impossible to do what he's called to do. And in your own power, it is impossible to do what he's called us to do. The house that God wants to build is a house where his power is preeminent. I read a story of a man who had purchased a very expensive painting. And it was contained in a very large frame. And so he brought it home 
and he was looking for a place to put it in his house. He wanted to find a wall where it would be really, really focused on and, 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 and take the attention of anyone that, that walked in. But he would walk over to this wall and you know there were already some pictures there and, and the furniture wasn't really in the right spot. And so he carried it over to this wall and he really couldn't figure out how to make it work there. And he really got frustrated. So finally, he actually went back to the, to the artist for advice and said, what should I do with this painting? And listen to what the artist said. The artist said, when I go to hang a painting, the first thing I do is take all the furniture out of the room. Then I hang the artwork on the wall. After I've hung it on the wall, then I arrange all of my furniture in the room around the picture. Then the picture is no longer just prominent, it is preeminent. It is the most important thing in the room. And that's what God is saying. He doesn't want to be merely another part of, of, our, of a program in our church. He says, I want to be the program. I want Jesus to be the head of this church. Amen. If you're listening this morning, and perhaps this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this, you say, well, how in the world do we do that? It's very simple. The Bible said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. That's me. That's you. I'm part of all. You're part of all. But it also says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you receive him, he will move in, and you will then be the dwelling of Jesus. <laughs> How amazing is that? And I look across this room, and I've, I've seen uh, so many of you give testimony to the day when you ask Jesus into your life. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you absolutely can because the Bible says it is a gift. The wages of sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, we earn that. You know, a lot of people say, I don't know how a loving God could ever send anyone to hell. And I look at them and say, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. In fact, a loving God wanted you not to go to hell so desperately that he sent his son, Jesus, his one and only son, to die on a cross to prove to you how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he allowed his son to die and be crucified on a cross to prove his love for you. And on the third day, Jesus, his son, rose and he's won over sin, death, and the grave. And now, because he gave the ultimate sacrifice, we no longer have to give the sacrifice. And the second part of that verse says, the gift of God, his son, Jesus, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this morning, we've got some gifts to give to you. Afterwards, we're going to fill our tummy. But before we ever do that, I want to know the greatest gift that was ever given, the greatest gift that was ever received is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I don't think we should go any further until I offer you that gift. You know, I used to always wait until the end of the sermon to do this, but I don't think we should because there might be someone here this morning that's like, would you just tell me how to do that, Pastor? Absolutely. I just want everyone to bow your heads. And if you're here this morning, and if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, it's very simple. You just pray a prayer of repentance. In other words, I confess that I'm a sinner. And belief in God and receiving of Him in your life. And He will change your life this moment. I want to say a prayer. And I want you, you don't have to pray it out loud, but just right where you are. Just right where you are, just pray this in your own words. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. Lord, you said we all are, and I admit I'm part of that. I, I know I've done things I shouldn't do that were unpleasing to you. You promised, Lord, 
that if I would confess that, not to Pastor Phil, not to my mom and dad, not to my teacher, not to the person beside me, but to you. So right now, Lord, I confess it to you. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I'm going to claim that promise you gave me in 1 John 1, 9, that you are faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. Lord, I believe that. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. And the best way I know how, Lord, I want to receive the gift of life that he provided through his sacrifice. And the best way I know how, Lord, I give my life to you. And the best way I know how, I receive you as my savior. And ask you to change me right now from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something. You just made the most important decision in your entire life. And it will change your life forever. In Capital City Church, the Bible says that when one person, just one, I believe at least one, if one person prays that prayer, heaven has a party. So on the count of three, can we just party with them? Can we do that? Come on, church. One, two, three. Come on, give God praise. Give God praise. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Those that online prayed that prayer, come on, let them know we love you. Believe it. Believe it. Praise God. Amen. I like to say something when I pray that prayer with someone. I like to say this, two words. It's real. Come on, say that with me. It's real. Come on, say it again. It's real. The enemy will come in. He'll try to make you, make you think it's fake. He'll try to make you think it's not real. Come on, it's real. How many of you have experienced it already? And you can, you can testify. Pastor, it's real. Come on, it's real. Come on, say it's real. Amen. It's real. So hang on to that. In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to let us know if you prayed that prayer. If you're watching online, if you can jump onto our Facebook Live and you can let us know, or you can go to our capcity.online.church and you can, you can let us know there. We want to know. Let us know. Go to our website. Uh, do, go to the contact page. Let me know. I want to pray with you. And uh, we have some things we want to give you before you leave here. We have a Bible to give you. We want to make sure that you have all the tools available to you. But most of all, just know this. It's real. It's real. That's what God is saying. It's real. The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, watch this, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities and the unseen world. All of the politicians and all of the, all of the, 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 the ones that are, that we think are in control. God says, no, no, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Bill Gates just thinks he owns all that. Amen. Everything that was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. God is building a house where his power and his son are preeminent. But that's not all. Secondly, write this down. He wants to build a house where his presence is pursued where his presence is pursued. Do you know what gets me up early in the morning and keeps me up late at night? 
and gets me excited on a Sunday morning so much that I wish church started earlier. You, want, you know what it is? It's because I just want to pursue God's presence. I do my best to prepare an outline. I do my best to prepare a sermon. I do my best to prepare my heart and prepare all that. But, but the most important thing to me is that we come into this room and God's people and God's temple come into this room and we experience the presence of God. That is the life-changing thing that happens in God's church. His presence is pursued. Acts seven forty nine. could you build me a temple as good as that? Ask the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? No, no bricks and mortar could ever contain the greatness of God. But God said, I will come into you and I will dwell and the greatness of myself will be revealed to you. God cannot be contained within structures made of steel and concrete and wood and glass. The Bible says that he is looking for a resting place and that resting place is in your hearts. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners. Come on, look at the person beside you. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer an alien. But fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to tell you something. You've just been adopted into the family of God. And look around you. This is your new family. Come on, tell everybody hi. Say, hi, family. I'm glad I'm with you today. Oh, what a good-looking family you guys are, too. I'm so proud of you. No wonder we love each other. We're family members. Amen. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him, everyone say in him. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Oh, I think I need that read again. And when I say rise, I want the temple of God to rise to your feet. Are you ready? In him, the whole building is joined together and rises. Come on, stand up to become a holy temple in the Lord. Come on, give him a praise today and pursue his presence. You are the temple of God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. Almost finished here. That wasn't in my notes, but that was good stuff right there. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now just get this. You remember we talked about how the ark was where God dwells. His spirit dwelt where God was in that, at that ark, and it was behind a veil. You remember last week we talked about the tabernacle and how when you walk in, you have the different pieces of furniture, but when you get to the holy of holies, no one could go in there but one guy. Everyone say, one guy? One guy. Can you imagine if only one guy could talk to God? We'd all be miserable, amen? One guy could go in there. And do you know that before he would go in there, they would tie a cord around his ankle? Because no one was allowed to go into there unless they were perfectly blameless and sinless. And if he walked in there with any kind of sin, he would keel over and die. And you know, there's nobody else going to go in there and get him, so they just pull him out. (laughs) Huh? Can you imagine if that was the church? No, no. When Jesus died, the moment he breathed his last breath, the thunder roared, the lightning struck, and the veil that separated mankind from the presence of God was torn in two. And at that point, God ran to us and we ran to him. And we've been pursuing his presence ever since. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. 
So just picture this for a moment. It's not often you get to preach with an Ark of the Covenant on the stage. So just picture this for a moment. Here is God behind the veil, face to face with that one guy. The veil tears in two, and his spirit is released to go out into all that will receive. Wow. And just as a mist of glory and grace and forgiveness and love and strength and conviction, he moves out into his people and builds his temple in each one. Think of it. You are God's favorite house. And then the third, a house is where his purpose is promoted. Let me say that with a different emphasis. You know, it's all on whether you put the emphasis on the right syllable. Am I right? I'll give you a minute. You'll get that. You've got to put the emphasis on the right syllable or no one will know what you're saying. Am I right? Let me read that again. A house where his purpose is promoted. Not mine, not yours, but his purpose. Again, last week we looked at the story of Jesus entering the temple and knocking over the tables and knocking over the chairs, knocking over what we counted on and what we're comfortable with. He was very angry at that moment because the religious leaders had forgotten why they were there. You see, when people came to the temple to sacrifice and worship, they came from a great distance. And last week we talked about the altar of sacrifice where they would have to sacrifice an animal. So they would come and they would buy a sacrifice at the altar. However, the money changers would give them a deformed sacrifice. So that, so in, in short, they were being offered second best. And so they were being forced to bring God second best. And, and I'm afraid that it, that's a lot of times what the church does is we bring God second best because we forget to run anything by God and we say, well, if first church is doing it that way, then let's do it that way and maybe we'll grow. Or if this church or community church has that program or has that plan, maybe we'll adopt that plan and maybe we'll grow. And God says, no, no, why don't you just come to me and I'll tell you what my purpose is. And when I tell you what my purpose is, then you'll know what the church should be doing. Stephen, just before he was stoned to death, in verse 53 of Acts chapter 7. says, yes, you deliberately destroyed God's laws, though you received him from the hands of angels. And I imagine this baffled them because they couldn't think of any laws that they were destroying. What do you mean we're destroying the laws? We're keeping all of the, the Ten Commandments and the, the, the 400 plus other laws. What are you talking about? Stephen, you're crazy. You're, you're a hypocrite. I believe that when, when Stephen was saying that, he was referring to Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Someone came to him and said, Sir, which is the most important commandment out of all these laws? The laws of Moses. And Jesus replied, watch this. I believe in this moment, in this point, he was giving us his purpose for his church. I believe that this verse gives every one of us as his followers his purpose for us 
And I believe it gives Big C Church, the church of Christ, what his purpose is. Watch this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is most important and similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other commandments and all the other demands of the prophets stem from these two laws. Watch this. And are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these. He's talking about these two things that he said. And you will find that you are obeying all the others. What was he saying? Well, we know the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Well, he knew if we loved our neighbors ourselves, we're not going to kill them. Amen. It says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, he knew if we loved the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we wouldn't take his name in vain. So just come on. It comes down to this. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's how we say it at Capital City Church. We believe that we are called. The reason we exist is to bring people to a place where they find God, where they find freedom, where they find purpose and find fulfillment. That's all right there in that verse. First of all, we've got to help you find God. And some of you just found him this morning. And I'm celebrating with you. And I'm so excited about your new journey with Christ. I feel like we almost need to have another party. I'm so excited. Find God. Find God. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Find him. Love him. And then find freedom. Love God with all of your mind. You see, when we come to Christ and we ask him in our life, we find God and we find the love of God that dwells within us. But a lot of us, we stay there. We don't find freedom. And that's by, Paul says, the renewing of my mind. Let God begin to change my mind about how I see things. I begin to not be so argumentative with people. I begin to not depend so desperately on whether people on social media like me, but I just, I let God change my mind and I care more about whether he, he is pleased with me. So we believe that God is calling us to help people find God and love him, find freedom by renewing their mind and, and helping God help them with their hurts and their habits and their hangups. And then I believe that we're called to find purpose. Love your neighbors yourself. Did you know that that's really what it falls down to? Every one of us. Our purpose in life is to love our neighbors ourselves, And that will draw them into the relationship with Christ. The best evangelistic tool you could ever have is just to love people like you love yourself. We have what we call growth track. And in the growth track, we help you find God, find freedom, find purpose. And that last one, write these down. Find God, find freedom, find purpose, find fulfillment. Paul said in Romans 3.10, love is the fulfillment of the law. I believe that the world is full of people that are looking for fulfillment in life. And that's only going to come by loving your neighbors yourself and serving them as Jesus would. So everybody say, find God. Come on, you got to say it louder than that. Find God. Find freedom. Find purpose. Find fulfillment. If somebody asks you, what's your church all about? You know what you're going to say? Come on, say it with me. Find God. Find freedom. Find purpose. Find fulfillment.
Come on, we got to do it better than that or we're never going to get it. We're going to do it again. Everybody say it together. Find God. Find freedom. Find purpose. Find fulfillment. That's what it's all about. We used to sing a chorus years ago. I asked Ethan to play it for us. I'm not going to... I just want you to just just kind of build an altar right where you're at. This song says, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. The word sanctuary means where God dwells. That's what it means. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for you. Can you just sing that with me? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you now do me a favor if that's your testimony I want you to just quietly stand to your feet and let's sing it to the Lord I want you to sing it like no one else is in the room and if you just say Lord I want to be your house I want to be your favorite house that's really what we're singing just make this your testimony this morning sing it again Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a more time just singing to the Lord those of you that are online wherever you are would you just stand up if you're able and sing this with us it doesn't matter if no one's in the room or if the room is full of people come on sing this with us Lord prepare me Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true across this room are vessels of your presence temples of your spirit the house that you love God I pray that this week we would think about what that means about what goes into our mind what we allow into our hearts what we allow into our lives Lord help us to be actively building a place where you can have the freedom to live, a mercy seat, if you will, 
a place where you would dwell. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 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 You can be seated. So glad that you came today. And and I'm so thankful for God's presence that are here. And uh, we have something very special for you in just a moment. Henderson, you can come on up. Henderson is going to play a a special on the piano for us uh, during the offering time. Amen. Amen. So I'm excited about that. So ushers, you come on up. And uh, some of you had asked, uh, are we still doing the boxes? Ushers, I'm going to ask you to come at this time. We are still doing the boxes as well. Uh, We're just asking for uh, uh, the ushers to continue to pass the plates. So um, uh, we're going to do both in in case uh, we miss you. You you can bring it and and put it in before church or or after church, or you can place in the offering. If you're a guest with us this morning and did not come to prepare to give, uh, we totally understand. All we ask, would you put in in there the the connection card? And if you prayed that prayer today and asked Jesus into your life, would you you signify that on the card just like you see here behind me and uh, let us know about that? There are three ways to give. You can give uh, here in the room if you're here, if you're watching online, or if you would like to give if you didn't come prepared today, but you would like to. You can use the Cash App on your phone. And uh, incidentally, the Cash App is probably the best way to do it because they charge us no fees at all. So if you're able to use the Cash App, that would be awesome. You can also give online at capcitychurch.live slash giving. And uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I want you to know that in just a moment, uh, we're going to have coffee and donuts for everyone. But don't go anywhere because we want to, uh, we want to hear Henderson's, uh, Henderson's special uh, music here. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your offering. Lord, use it for the upbuilding of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Before I say amen, because I don't want the ushers to turn around. The Holy Spirit just reminded me of something that this old man forgot. It is in your bulletin. You probably saw a little thing for church planting. If you would like to give to church planting, that will go directly towards the, uh, uh, the, the evangelism uh, department. Is that right, uh, David? Um, and uh, we've been telling you about it for a few weeks, but we put the offering envelopes in there. You, if you didn't come prepared to give to that, it doesn't have to be today. But we want to do that to support church planting. I'm a church planter, and uh, uh, Pastor David Dean is our evangelism director for the denomination. Stand up, give everybody a wave, let them know. Come on. Amen. All right. So uh, if you're able to do that, that would be great. Henderson, you ready? When I say amen, you can go. All right. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Oh, that was great. Thank you. Oh, we want to hear more of that sometime. Amen. Oh, that was great. Praise God. Well, we're so glad that you came. Just a quick announcement. Uh, the children have their own snacks, so they're going to stay uh, in Children's Church and, and continue to party. Adults, we have over here to my left, we've got donuts and coffee and, and Coke. We were going to do Cokes on the lawn, but it's a little chilly today, so we have them in here. And uh, we want to welcome all of you to come and be a part of that. Uh, they wanted me to let you know that there's a security meeting in, uh, in 15 minutes in the conference room. And also, guys, if you're able to help us in about 15 minutes, uh, tear down these chairs for Wednesday night. That would be awesome. If you're a guest, just go eat some donuts, all right? And we want to get to know you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. <laughs>